Deuteronomy chapter 6, the beginning of verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and His testimonies, and His statutes, which He commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies of the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. As I was contemplating for this morning and thinking about this new year, just thinking about what, what is the message that God would have for us. And I ended up focusing on Deuteronomy 6 here because it's a new time for Israel. Israel has been delivered from the slavery that they were under in Egypt, just like we've been delivered from sin in our lives through Jesus Christ. And Israel was brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand of God, but then they stumbled at trusting that mighty hand. So they end up in the wilderness with God for 40 years, and now they're just about to that point where they're going to come up and enter into the promised land. And Moses has been their leader for these 40 years, and he's just about to pass off the scene. And Joshua's going to take over in his place, and he's going to lead the children of Israel on into the promised land. 
God had given them the law when they first came out of Egypt 40 years earlier. And now He's going to finally bring them into that promised land and it's going to be a new home and a new day in their life. And I was thinking, you know, well, we're looking at going into a new year. They were looking at going into a new land. What is it that God had for them as they entered into this new experience, this new beginning? And you know what I find is that what God had for them is pretty much what He had for them 40 years ago. In fact, as I wrestled with what to call this sermon or what to call this passage to identify the things that are going on in the whole book of Deuteronomy, and especially in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what God does is rather than just pointing them forward, He also points them back. Because the book of Deuteronomy is second giving of the law. The law that He had given them when they first came up out of Egypt and to learn how to behave as a nation within the wilderness... God is now going to kind of recap that and give them, give it to them again. And He's going to give them His commands. He's going to stipulate these things. And so basically, when you think about it, He's telling them, look, you're going to be going into this new experience, but what I really want you to have an anchor on is the old experience that I've already given you. Nothing's changed. Now, it was going to be a very different experience. They're going into a place where there's been people living there in very different cultures. People that are worshiping different gods, behaving in different ways. In fact, if you look back into the book of Leviticus, God had told the children of Israel, when you get to where you get to go into the new land, you'd better not behave the way those people are because that land is vomiting them out. And if you end up participating in the same things that they're participating in, that land will also vomit you out. And so what God is reminding them of just as they go in on this new experience is that in a sense, in order to go forward, they need to go back. They need to remember what God has already revealed to them in the giving of the law. And He's saying, look, I haven't changed my rules, my statutes. And I love the way that He does it because He's referring to the same thing. Commands, statutes, rules. It's just a whole bunch of different ways of saying exactly the same thing. But it's a way that He can say it then three times instead of just once. He's leading these people into the promised land. And He says, I just want you to know something. I want to remind you of something. My commands, my rules, my statutes, my laws. You still need to keep them. They're the same. And that makes sense because they're from a God who does not change. A God who's still the same. And as I look out across our country and our own culture right now, I think this is a passage we need to be focusing on. Our country is moving pretty rapidly to call evil things good and some good things evil. But God has not changed. Across our country, you can look this morning and find churches that are upholding very ungodly behaviors and practices and openly welcoming those things into the churches. Yet if we look at God's Word, God's Word has not changed. And you know what? God has not changed. If the American church is going to be an effective church, it better go back to go forward. It better go back and get a grip on who God is because it's the same as who God was. And we need to stand firm as we go forward. As we look at this, he says in what is known as Israel's Shema, it's kind of the defining statement of the nation of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. That is what he's calling them to. And that's what he's calling us to. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then as we look at this passage and it unfolds, we kind of find in there, well, what does it mean to love God? We can say we love God, but what does it mean to love God? Well, as we unfold this passage before us, we're going to see four different things that the love of God means. First, we see that the love of God means a participating with His people. Because notice who the call goes out to. Hear, O Israel. 
Hear, O Israel. It's not to one person. It's to a group of people. It's to a nation of people. When Moses sits down to write this second giving of the law, this book of Deuteronomy, he writes it to the children of Israel. Hear, O Israel. It's not to one particular Israelite. It is to the nation as a whole. They are one. And they are to be participating in and as part of that nation. You know what? It's really not different today. If you stop and think about it, and we read through the New Testament, what do we find? We find a book written to the church. It's not written to an individual. In fact, when you look at the letters of the book, other than Philemon, all the letters are written either to churches or to leaders of churches so that they can know how the church is supposed to function. One of the things that we have a danger of doing as Americans is taking everything very individualistic. In America, we value the individual, and we should value the individual, recognizing the innate worth of an individual because they're made in the image of God. But we're actually meant to experience our faith, not only individually, but collectively. When Jesus came, he said he was going to build his church, his group of believers. And if you were to kind of put it all in a nutshell, if you look through the word church throughout the New Testament, it's used about 115 times. At least 110 of those times are used not of some mystical idea of a church or referring to the body of Christ at large, but that it's used referring to individual local churches in places. And so if you look at the biblical understanding of the word church, what is a church? A church is a local group of believers who gather together regularly and have organized themselves with pastors and deacons with leadership in place for the propagation of the gospel and the building up of one another so that we all grow together in the unity of the faith. In fact, when we look in Ephesians chapter 4, that's exactly what he tells us. Beginning in verse 11, he says he gave the apostles and prophets, that's the foundation layer of the church, the evangelists, the biblical term evangelist kind of means more like missionary in the way that we understand it, the shepherds, which is the word for pastors and teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints... That's all of us for the work of the ministry. So every every person is a minister. It's not I'm I'm not the minister. We're all the ministers. I'm the pastor, and uh, amongst the congregation we've got a whole bunch of deacons. And but we're all the ministers of Little Fort Baptist Church. The shepherds, the leadership's job is to equip everyone, to build everybody up, so they have the gifts and abilities to be able to accomplish the ministry as we all work together to carry out that ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And there's a goal until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so it compares the church to a body. And it says a body, to be a healthy body, needs every part, each part, functioning in the way that it's intended to function so that the whole body can minister and grow effectively. And so when you look at that passage, what is it saying? It's saying that God wants you to grow. But that's just part of it. That's not the end of it. God not only wants individuals to grow in their faith, He actually wants us to grow together. Part of our growing is relating with one another. In fact, when you look at the commands of the New Testament, you can't even fulfill the commands of the New Testament without being engaged with one another. Because you can't be unified with people that you're not with. 
and you can't be long-suffering and patient with people that you're not around. And you, you have to be engaged in order to be able to fulfill the commands that God has given to us as a church. You know what? God is always doing that in the Old Testament. He gathers. He makes a nation for Himself. starts with one person, but He make, builds a nation. And He calls them to come out to His house, to the tabernacle and then the temple and to worship Him. He assembles His people and His chosen nation. And now what does He do to, as a church in the New Testament? He constantly calling the church to come out and assemble themselves before Him and to worship Him acceptably and to be built into the body of, of Christ. You know, we live in a pretty privileged day where everybody has copies of the Bible. It's on your phone and it, there's probably several copies on your shelves at home. And you realize in the early church days, they couldn't even know what was in the Bible without going to church. The letters were being written to the churches. And that's where they had to go to hear it read. We live in a very privileged day, but that privileged day can kind of tend to isolate us. And, and even more so now, if I'm thank, I thank God for that we're able to have our church services out on YouTube and Facebook and those kind of things. But you know what? If that is an enticement to pull you to keep you out from participating in the body, you're missing it. That's not the purpose of that. That's intended for that. And, and we definitely don't want to get drawn into that. It's there because some people need it. Some people have to have it. Being church means not just that I'm hearing some things that I need to grow, but participating with one another so that I can get from you what I need to grow and you get from me what you need to grow and we all grow up together. God's will is not just that we grow, but we, that we grow together. Throughout this Ephesians chapter 4 passage, he keeps saying, we, 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 we do this. It's not just about me, me, me. Hebrews, of course, is a passage that is the most explicit with it. Now notice within Hebrews, it's within a larger message because of the things he's been telling them about the superiority of Christ over anything else that the world has to offer. He then says, because of that, let us... And there's three different times he says, let us do something. Notice in verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And notice it is a let us, not let you, not let me, let us. Because of who Christ is in our life, let us draw near. Not just individually, but corporately. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then he hits the second one. Let us hold fast. See, the Hebrews were being persecuted for their faith. And so they were tempted to let go of some things of their faith and go back to the temple and worship there. And he's saying you can't do it. In fact, that's mainly the point of the whole letter. You can't do that. You can't let go of Christ in order to hang on to Moses. If you don't have Christ, you don't have Moses either. If you don't have Christ, you don't have Abraham either. You don't have the priesthood either. All of it is fulfilled in Christ. You have to hold fast to Christ. So he says, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Now, there's one more let us here, and it's key to the first two. How do we do that? How do we continue to draw near? How do we continue to hold fast? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the main point. Let's stir one another up. I want to encourage your faith. You need to be one to encourage my faith and everybody else's faith that's around you. How can you do that? But then he goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together. If you're not meeting together, you can't encourage one another. It's impossible. As is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the point is, this passage is not fulfilled when we show up to church. We show up to church so that we can fulfill this passage. We come here because we want to be an encouragement to somebody else. Well, the first thing I have to do to do that is to actually be there. Now that gets the ball rolling. Now what am I going to do once I'm there? Now we're thinking the right way about this whole thing. When God goes to give the motto of Israel to Israel, that's who it's to. It's to Israel. 
When God gave us the New Testament, gave us His Word, it got sent out to the churches and to the leadership of those churches. Why? Because it's for us. This isn't just for me. And so loving God means participating with God's people. Loving God also means obedience to His commands. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules. In verse 1, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. In verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you. There is no way to love God and not obey His commands. There is no way. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5 through says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. His commandments are an expression of who He is. Things are right or wrong based on whether, how they line up with the character of God and the purposes of God. And so you cannot say, God, I love you, but I don't like anything about you. Because that's just really what you're saying if you're saying, I'm not going to obey the commandments. Because these are all things that are about God. These are things that define what He's like. And so you can't say, on the one hand, God, I love you, but boy, I don't like any of the rules that you've given. Because they're an expression of His nature. You have to obey. Now, the one thing that comes up over and over throughout this passage is not only that they're an expression of God's nature and that we're held responsible to keep the commands of God, but that it's for our own good. In fact, he says it over and over through the book of Deuteronomy. We back up to chapter 4 and verse 40. It says, Keep His decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you. So that it may go well with you and your children after you. And that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. That it may go well with you. You know, in adult Sunday school this morning, we talked about the impact of the Word of God in our life and the depth and the richness and everything that it brings to our life. And we all recognize that, you know what, our lives are so much better when we are following the principles laid out in God's Word. We also recognize that the mess that the world got into under the curse happened because they neglected the Word of God that was given to them. If we get up to chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In verse 33 of chapter 5, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. This. What was God's purpose? God's purpose in bringing Israel into this promised land is that they would have a good life in this land. He was providing for them like their parents do for their children, wanting them to have a good life, a fulfilling life, a, a satisfying life. And God's telling them right up front, here's the rules. Because if you keep these rules, you're going to live long in the land. You're going to prosper there. You're going to do well. Parents, I'm going to ask you the same thing and grandparents about your children and grandchildren. Why did you lay out the rules of your household the way that you did? Was it not because if they follow these rules, things will go better for them? Isn't it to their benefit to keep the rules? There's been a few times over the years where I've had to sit down with a, with a wayward young person and say, you know what, the reason they're putting those rules in place is for your benefit. Not for, not, they're not just trying to suck the fun out of your life. This is for your good. That's exactly what God is telling Israel. As you come into this promised land, there's going to be all kinds of enticing things tempting them as God begins to drive out the enemies before them. You don't want to go there. It won't be for your good. It will be for your harm. You know, the same thing in our culture. A lot of things are being pushed at our young people and at everybody. 
And they're not for your good. God's Word, God's commands are for your good. Chapter 6 and verse 3, again, that it may go well with you. Verse 18 of chapter 6, Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Verses 24 through 25, And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. We get up to chapter 12. He does the same thing a couple times there. This was talking about blood. So some of these are dealing with specific commands. Some of them are dealing with the commands as a whole. And he says, do not eat it so that it may go well with you and your children after you. In verse 28, be careful to obey all these words that I command you that it may go well with you. Chapter 19 and verse 13, show him no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood. We've got a lot of liberal DAs across the country hopefully learning this lesson right now. God was telling Israel, look, don't go soft on crime. Because if you go soft on crime, you get more crime. And God says this, He says, you must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 7, again, so that it may go well with you. And you know what? It's not going to change there either. Now, when Joshua takes over and begins to lead Israel into the promised land, right at the very beginning of the book of Joshua, notice what it says. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If you're going to have the life that God wants you to have, you have to obey. God's not changing on this. It's like I've told you several times, use my own example. When I decided I was going to buck my parents and rebelled for all I was worth and ended up living outside the home for a while and finally learned my lesson that, you know what? Life was harder outside the home. Go figure. And I finally decided to go back and I went in and I said, I want to come home. My dad said, same rules. I said, no problem. That's what God's doing. Israel, now, 40 years later, you're finally going to go into the promised land. You're going to go into that great experience. Here's the thing. Same rules. Why? Same God. That's why. Well, not only do we see that the love of God means obedience, the love of God means affection for His Word. Just a little bit different attitude, right? Because we can say the word obedience, and if we're getting the idea that it's a grudging obedience, that I'd rather do that, but okay, I'm going to do this instead, then we're missing the point. Because over and over, He also uses the word heart. What is the main crux of the command? Love God. Love God how? With all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, all of your strength. And that also is repeated throughout the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 4 and verse 9, if we back up to there, he says, only be careful to watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have, have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Chapter 4, verse 29, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Chapter 5, verse 29, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear Me and to keep all My commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Found in a number of different passages this statement, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Again, in two different places, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In two other passages, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. 
Chapter 8, verse 14, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Two different places. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy 26.16 The Lord your God commands you this day, follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all of your soul. You know, what is, what is the point? That as we look at the commandments of God, these are not grievous. And the New Testament tells us that. We love God, we keep His commands, and that His commandments are not grievous. In other words, we, we enjoy keeping them. We like to keep them. We love to keep them. And then lastly, another thing emphasized throughout, loving God means leaving a legacy. In other words, we don't just hang on to it for ourselves. We pass it on. Because over and over throughout the book, he says, look, this is for you. This is for your sons. This is for your sons' sons. This is intended for you to hand down. My greatest prayer all through child rearing is that my kids would end up putting their faith in Christ and in walking in a very strong and vibrant faith of their own in Christ. Where were they going to get that faith? Well, I recognize that the very first responsibility of handing that faith down came from me, their father. We need to have that kind of legacy. We need to hand down our faith to our children and our grandchildren. The church is commanded to go out into all the world and share the gospel. And so we're trying to reach more than just our family. But you know what? For crying out loud, it ought to start there, right? If we're going to reach the community, it at least ought to start in our homes and in our own families. You know, he repeats it almost word for word in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18 through 20. Fix these words of mine in your hearts. And minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, just like he told them to do in chapter 6. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Notice, when are we supposed to be teaching our children and grandchildren? All through life. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you're walking along the way. Later on in the chapter, he said, your kids are going to come to you and say, why these commands? Why these rules? Why do we follow this? And you're going to say, because our Lord with a strong hand delivered us out of the slavery that we were in in Egypt. Church, because our Lord with a strong hand delivered us out from the slavery that we were in bondage to in sin. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, gave us the forgiveness of those sins. That's why we do the things that we do. Hand that legacy down to our children. It all goes together. You can't hand your kids and grandkids something you don't possess. That's why he starts with, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he rolls into and give it to your kids. When we're so focused on how our kid does on the court and not how they're doing on their knees, we've got problems. I don't even care if you compare it to the education. They're going to get at school. We put them there eight hours a day and we can hardly get them into Sunday school for one hour in a week. Something's wrong. We need to be leaving that legacy. And that's not an easy thing to do. I poured myself into it, and not perfectly so. I'll be the first to admit it. But I've got kids I'm very concerned about. One of them that won't have anything to do with this, and the other one that won't have anything to do with God. And so I have some concerns. You know what? We look back in this day, and they needed to have some concerns. When you look at the end of the book of Joshua, how did things end up? It says, during the days of Joshua, and all the elders that served with Joshua... As long as, all of them, as long as they were alive, Israel was faithful to God. But if you continue to read into the next book, the book of Judges, you get to chapter 2, it repeats in verse 7 what it says at the end of the book of Joshua. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Just three verses later. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, 
And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How does the very next generation arise that does not know God? Well, let me tell you, it's as easy as letting weeds grow in your garden. It doesn't really lay the blame. I can't see within the passage whether it was Joshua and that generation that just didn't make those connections. They didn't teach while they were walking along the way, while they were rising up while they were sitting down. Or was it a generation that just kind of refused to learn? I don't know. Uh, My guess is you can find fault on both sides. At any rate, I'll tell you what I do know. I don't want it happening in my family. And you know what? That's one of the things that the love of God does for us. It passes it on. So as we look at going into this new year, just as Israel was going into a new land, let's love God in this new year. In a practical way, what does that look like? It means we're going backwards to go forwards. It's the same God that He was last year. The same God that He was when He revealed Himself to Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. He's not changing. He's not going to adapt with the culture. And you need to not adapt with the culture either. We need to remain faithful to God. Loving God means participating with His children. We need to not only grow in our faith this year, we need to grow together in our faith this year. Not only does loving God mean that, it means obedience to His commands. Loving God means affection for His Word. His commands aren't grievous to us. We love them. And it also means leaving a legacy. We're not just concerned about our own experience. We're concerned about the experience of our kids and our grandkids and the legacy that we leave behind as we look at one day being gathered under the Lord ourselves. What kind of a legacy will there be standing where we used to stand?